Section five of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Bidolph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Bidolph by Francis Sheridan. Volume one continued. My mother, ever kind and tender, came early the next morning into my room. She inquired after my health and looked as if she pitied me. I was ready to cry at her compassionate glances. They mortified me, but I was determined not to let her perceive it. I told her I was much better, and what is surprising, I was really so, notwithstanding the uneasy state of my mind. She talked of indifferent things, and said she hoped I should soon be able to go into the country for a few days, to recover a little strength. I answered, I hope so too, madam. We were both silent for a while. My mother had her indulgent eyes fixed upon me. Mine were cast down. At last I resolved to speak out. Madam, said I, looking steadfastly at her, what is the cause of your coldness towards Mr. Falkland? Tis in vain for you to hide it longer. You say he is well and gone out of town. If he has shown any slight towards me, tell me so at once, and do not entertain so mean an opinion of your daughter, as to suppose she cannot bear the news. Your tenderness, I see, would conceal something from me. But believe me, madam, I am prepared for the worst. My dear, replied my mother, it gives me great pleasure to hear you say so. I pray God preserve my child, and grant her a better lot than she could hope for in a union with Mr. Falkland. What has he done, madam? My dearest Sidney, she answered, this is the first trial you have ever had of your patience, but I have no doubt that your goodness and discretion will teach you to act as becomes your character. I did not intend to have spoken to you on the subject till you were better able to bear the knowledge of what I am going to acquaint you with, but your prudence, I think, makes you equal to everything, and I hope your health will not be endangered by the discovery of Mr. Falkland's baseness. What a dreadful preface! The day after you were taken ill, a letter directed to you was brought hither by a porter which your maid, very discreetly, delivered to me. As you were not in a condition to read it yourself, I thought proper to open it. The cover contained a few lines addressed to you, and in it was enclosed a letter directed to Mr. Falkland. Good God, answered she, taking the papers out of her pocket, how little reliance ought we to have on a fair outside. Here are the letters. Read what is in the cover first. I did so. It was ill-writ and worse spelt. These were the contents. To Sydney, madam, I hear you are soon to be married to Mr. Falkland, but as I think it is a great pity that so virtuous a young lady should be thrown away, this is to inform you that he does not deserve you. The enclosed letter, wrote to him by a fine and beautiful young lady that he decoyed, shows you how false he is. When you tax him with it, he will know from whence you got your information, but let him deny it if he can. I am, madam, your unknown friend and humble servant. The letter to Mr. Falkland, in a very pretty female hand, and the date but a week old, 
from the time it was sent to me, was as follows. To Falkland from A.B. Oh, Mr. Falkland, I am the most unfortunate woman in the world. Fatal have you been to me, and I am undone for ever. I was in hopes that our mutual fault might have been concealed, for while we stayed at Bath I kept my aunt entirely ignorant of what passed between us, though she often pressed me to confess the truth. But it can now no longer be concealed. I am but too sensibly reminded of the unhappy consequences of my own weakness and your ungoverned, would I could call it, love. I never meant to trouble you with complaints, but my present condition calls loudly for your compassion. Are you then really going to be married? There wants but this to complete my destruction. Oh, sir, before it is too late, take pity on me. I dare not continue in the house with my uncle much longer. My aunt says that when my affliction becomes so conspicuous as not to be any longer hid, she will form a pretense on account of my health for me to be absent for some months, under colour of going to Bath or to London, for better advice than I can have here. But what will this avail me? I have no relations, no friends, nor acquaintance that I can trust with the secret of my miserable situation. To whom, then, can I fly but to you, the cause of all my sorrow? I beseech you, for heaven's sake, write to me, and tell me if, indeed, you are going to give yourself away for ever. If you are, your intended bride perhaps may have no other advantage of me but what you in an evil hour deprived me of. Write to me, dear though cruel as you are, and think of some place of refuge for your unhappy A.B. When I had read these letters, my mother asked me what I thought of Mr. Falkland. Indeed, I was so astonished that I scarce knew what answer to make, but replied, Madam, are you satisfied that this letter is not forged with a design to injure Mr. Falkland? Ah, my dear, said she, I am sorry you strive to catch at so slender a twig. You may be sure I am but too well convinced that the letter is genuine, or you should never have had a moment's uneasiness by the knowledge of it. Mr. Falkland himself does not deny it, and it is with his permission that I kept it. I promised to return it, but desired leave to retain it for a few days. He could not refuse me this, though he might easily imagine I designed to show it to you. That was indeed my intention, when I desired to keep it a little while in my hands, and I did so that I might have your judgment on the letter itself as well as fully to justify my own proceedings in what I have done. Ah, dear madam, cried I, scarce knowing what I said, I rely on your maternal goodness. I am sure you have done what is proper, yet has Mr. Falkland nothing to say for himself? But I will ask no more questions. I know too much already. My love, said my mother, you have a right to know everything relative to this affair. I showed the letters to your brother as soon as I received them. 
Sir George at first seemed quite confounded, but afterwards, to my very great surprise, he smiled and said he knew of that foolish business before. I asked him if he knew of it before, how he could answer it to his honour, his conscience, or the love he ought to bear his sister, not to divulge it immediately. Why, said he, I assure you it is a trivial affair that ought not to make you uneasy. What, George, answered I, a trivial matter for a man to ruin a fine young lady, forsake her, and dare to involve an innocent creature in his crimes. Do you call this a trivial affair? If you knew the circumstances, said he, you would not view it in so disadvantageous a light. Falkland certainly gained the affections of a young lady, though without seeking to do so. He never courted her, never attempted to please her, much less to win her heart, and least of all to ruin her virtue. I know that is an action he is not capable of committing. How comes it to pass that he did so? said I, interrupting him. Why, the girl was silly, and she was thrown in his way by a vile designing woman that had the care of her. And was he, again stopping him, to take advantage of her folly, and join with that vile designing woman to destroy a poor young creature's honour? The best men, said he confidently, may fall into an error, and if you expect to find a man entirely free from them, you look for what is not possible in human nature. I may expect to find a man without flagrant crimes to answer for, I hope, said I. I believe I spoke it with warmth. Do you call this one, madam, said he, with still more assurance? I hope Sidney will not be such a chit as to think in this manner when she comes to hear the affair explained. I really grew downright angry, and could not forbear saying, I would rather see you married to your grave than to such a man. Your brother then begged I would hear Mr. Falkland justified, and be a little cool till that was done. I told him there was a terrible fact alleged, of which I could not conceive it possible for him to acquit himself. George said he had a letter to show me on the subject which he had received from Mr. Falkland while he was at Bath, and which he was sure would convince me that the whole affair was so trifling it ought by no means to be objected to Mr. Falkland, nor in his opinion even mentioned to him. I told him I was sorry to find that he and I thought so differently, for that I was determined to speak to Mr. Falkland immediately about it, and, if he could not satisfy me entirely on the score of the injured lady, then he must never think of Sidney more. Your brother said that the letter which was sent to you had come from the revengeful dog who had robbed his master, and that he would give half his estate to have the villain punished as he deserved. Mr. Falkland, it seems, had told him this himself. The fellow found it in the pocket-book which he had taken out of the escritoire, and his disappointment, perhaps, at not getting a better booty, for he found but twenty moidors besides, 
joined to his malice against his master, incited him to make the use he did of this letter. Now, continued my mother, though the fellow is undoubtedly a vile creature, yet, my dear, I think we are obliged to him for this discovery. Providentially is it his come to save you from what, in my opinion, would be the worst of misfortunes. The loss of this letter had alarmed Mr. Falkland so much that he put an advertisement into the papers next day, worded in so particular a manner as showed how very fearful he was of that letter's coming to light. For, no doubt, he suspected the man might make a dangerous use of it. The advertisement said that if the servant who had absconded from his master's house in St. James's Square the night before, would restore the papers which he took with him, they should be received without any questions being asked, and a reward of twenty guineas paid to any person who should bring them back. The advertisement, which, to be sure, the fellow either did not see at all, or had not time enough to avail himself of, shows you to what sad resources people are driven, who, having done unwarrantable actions, are often in the power of the lowest wretches. I own this circumstance gave me a very ill impression of Mr. Falkland. Your brother says he remembers this man was one of the servants he took with him to Bath, and without doubt he knew of his amour. The advertisement has since been changed by Sir George's advice. I find the man is named, his person described, and a reward of fifty pounds offered for the apprehending of him. But I take it for granted he has got out of reach. Though this little digression was very pertinent, I was impatient to know what had passed between my mother and Mr. Falkland on the fatal subject and could not forbear asking her. I shall tell you, said she, in order. Your brother and I had some farther altercations, and indeed, my dear, it amazes me to find that a young man, educated as Sir George was in the early part of life, in the strictest principles of virtue, and the son of parents who, thank God, always gave him the best example, should have so far deviated from the sober paths he was brought up in as to treat the most glaring vices with a levity that shocks me. But I suppose the company he kept abroad, among whom this hypocrite Falkland was his chief, has quite perverted him. He gave me the letter to read which he had received from his friend whilst he was at Bath, and which, he said, was to convince me that it was such a trifling affair that we ought not to take the least notice of it. And all his reason for this was truly because that loose man treats the subject as lightly as he does. I am afraid Sir George is no better than himself, or he would not have ventured to make him the confidant of his wild amours and that at a time, too, when he was encouraged to address you. He tells him of a very pretty young lady, innocent, he says, too, that he got acquainted with, who came to Bath under the care of an aunt and uncle. 
He talked some idle stuff of avoiding her when he found she liked him, and that the aunt, wicked woman, contrived to leave them together one evening. When I understand, the poor young creature fell into the snare that was prepared for her. For, would you believe it, my dear, the monstrous libertine, notwithstanding his pretenses, owned that he had paid a price for the girl to her aunt. The betrayed creature herself knew not of this. I own I had not patience to read the letter through. To say the truth, I but run my eye in a cursory manner over it. I was afraid of meeting at every line something offensive to decency, and this was the account which, in your brother's opinion, was entirely to exculpate Mr. Falkland. I think I never was so angry. I threw the letter to George with indignation, telling him I was ashamed to find that he, after knowing an incident of this kind, had so little regard to the honour of his sister as to promote a marriage between her and such a rake. He answered, If I kept you unmarried till I find such a man as I should not call a rake, you are likely to live and die a maid. That for his part he was very sorry, as well as for Mr. Falkland's sake as yours, he had ever proposed a union, which he found was likely to be overthrown by unseasonable scruples. And the gentleman, in a violent passion, flung out of the room, without deigning even to take up the letter which had fallen on the floor. I presume he went directly to his friend, Falkland, and told him all that had passed, for the plausible man came to me in the evening, and with looks full of pretended sorrow, but real guilt, begged I would hear him on the subject of a letter which he said he found had unfortunately prejudiced me against him. To be sure, he was prepared, and had, with George's help, contrived an artful story to impose on me. He took me unawares, but I was resolved not to give him the advantage of arguments, but proceed to ask him a few plain questions. I therefore cut him short at once by saying, Mr. Falkland, I am extremely concerned and shocked at what has happened. I will say but a few words to you, and desire to hear nothing more than answers to my questions. He bowed, and remained silent. I then asked him, taking the young lady's letter out of my pocket, whether that was from the same person of whom he had written an account to my son while he was at Bath. He answered, It is, madam, and I hoped from that letter which I find Sir George has shown you, you would be induced to believe that I never formed a thought of injuring that young lady till some unfortunate circumstances combined and suddenly surprised me in the commission of a fault that has made us both unhappy. Sir, said I, I don't pretend to know people's hearts. I can only judge of them from their actions. You acknowledge that she was a fine young woman, and you believe innocent? What excuse can you offer for being her destroyer? Dear madam, don't use so severe an expression. Sir, I can use no other. How 
can you extenuate the fault by which you merit so severe an appellation? To a lady of your rigid delicacy, madam, said he, perhaps what youth could offer, an extenuation of the fault might appear but a weak plea, yet tis most certain that I was surprised into the fatal error. I am under no promises, no ties, no engagements whatsoever to the lady. No ties, sir, interrupting him. Is your own honour no tie upon you, supposing you free from any other obligation? You see the consequence of this fatal error, as you call it. Here is a young person of fashion, perhaps. I don't inquire who she is, but she seems to have had no mean education, who is likely to bring a child into the world to the disgrace of herself and her family. On you, sir, she charges her dishonour, and mentions your marrying another as the blow which is to complete her ruin. Mr. Falkland, is not all this truth? Be so good as to give me a direct answer. Madam, I cannot deny it. You have the proof of it in your hands. From all that appears to you, I am indeed very blamable. Nay, I do not pretend to vindicate my folly. But, madam, do not aggravate my fault in your own thoughts by considering the affair in a more unfavourable light than what even her letter puts it. I conjure you, madam, to suffer Sir George to be my advocate on this occasion. He is acquainted with every particular of the transaction, and can give you a detail that I will not presume to do. Be pleased, sir, replied I, to tell me what you mean to do in regard to this lady. I mean to do all that I can do, answered he. I shall provide a place of retreat for her where she will meet with the utmost care, tenderness and respect, and where she may continue with privacy until she is in a condition to return home again to her friends. You may be sure, madam, as to the rest, I shall acquit myself consistently with honour. That is as much as to say, sir, said I, that you will take care of the maintenance of your poor babe. He looked as if he had a mind to smile, forward man, but restrained it. Doubtless, madam, I shall do all that is now in my power to do, in every circumstance relating to her. I felt myself exceedingly displeased with him. I was so disappointed in my opinion of him that it increased my resentment. Sir, I proceeded, I must inform you that there is as much now in your power as ever there was. You are still unmarried. The way is open to you to repair the mischief you have done. I will never bring down the curses of an injured maid upon my daughter's head, nor purchase her worldly prosperity at the expense of the shame and sorrow of another woman. For aught I know, as well-born as tenderly bred, and till she knew you, perhaps as innocent as herself. For heaven's sake, madam, he cried, don't, don't, I beseech you, pronounce my fate so hastily. You must pardon me, sir, said I, if I beg to hear no more on this subject. 
Sir George has already said everything you could expect of your friend to say in your justification, and more than became him to utter. All I can find by either you or him is that you think the loss of honour to a young woman is a trifle, which a man is not obliged to repair because truly he did not promise to do so. This young creature, I understand, is a gentlewoman, very charming in her person, by your own account, one who loves you tenderly and will shortly make you a father. Is not all this so? I grant it, madam, said the criminal. Then, sir, what reason can you urge in your conscience for not doing her justice? None but your own inconstant inclinations, which happen now to be better pleased with another woman, whom perhaps you might forsake in a few months. I cannot pretend to repeat to you all he said upon this last article. Words, of course, you may be sure. He entreated over and over again that I would permit Sir George to plead for him. I told him that after the facts he had granted, it was impossible that either he or Sir George could make the affair better. But I was very sorry to find myself disappointed in a person of whom I had conceived so high an opinion, and added that, as your illness made it very improper to let you know anything of the matter for the present, I should take it as a favour if he would permit me to retain the lady's letter to him for a few days, or till you were in a condition to have the matter broke to you. In the meanwhile, I requested that he would dispense with my receiving any more visits from him. He said some frantic things, for the man seems of a violent temper, but finding me peremptory, took his leave with respect. I understand from Sir George that he flew directly down to Richmond, to a little house he has there, where he has remained ever since but sends every day to inquire after your health. Sir George, I am sure, sees him often, for he frequently goes out early in the morning and stays abroad till night. The increase of your illness from the time I received the last visit from Mr. Falkland, to such a degree as to alarm us for your life, I suppose prevented your brother from reassuming the subject though I can perceive he is full of anger and vexation on the occasion. You are now, my dear God be praised, in a hopeful way of recovery, and I expect that George, who has, by espousing this man's interest so warmly, very much offended me, that George, I say, will renew his solicitations in his favour. What do you say, my child? I should be glad to know your thoughts with regard to the part I have acted, as well as with respect to Mr. Falkland's conduct. End of section 5